as I was doing the work for last week on Jehoshaphat, I thought, you know, we ought to probably talk about, before we get away from this, we ought to talk about Josiah a little bit. He's just a, I love his story, but I've never taught it. So here we go. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. So he is a boy king. Now you got to catch this. This is not a king who was told he was going to be king when he was a boy. You know, that's almost David's story. As a teenager, he's told he's going to be king, and then it's years before he becomes king. Um, you and I are following across the pond stories where there's a kid or two that you th they're young men now, but you wonder if someday they'll be a king. This is not the man who would be king. He became a king at how, how old? Eight. Eight. Uh, we got to kind of deal with that, and I'll, I'll try to do my best to do that. He is in some ways... Commentators will tell us he was, he was the last of the good kings of Judah. So his story comes right before Judah's captivity by, by Babylon. But he, um, he's not only the last, but he's probably the greatest, the best of the kings of Judah, even though he starts at age eight. His great work will last being remembered and impacting, uh, really, through the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A lot of the things he did will influence and impact uh, the, um, uh, started to use a technical word that I better not use, but he, his work impacted the cultus, that means the worship life, of, um, of Israel, even when Jesus hit the scene. So, uh, when, you, when we meet John the Baptist, uh, he, his work will be impacted by Josiah's work. Uh, Jesus' will in some ways. Um, so he becomes king in 640 B.C., right around there. Well, I'll try to put some dates to some of these things. Um, well, last week we looked at a king that was between a rock and a hard place, and he's going to reign for 25 years. We're going to fast forward several generations, and uh, a king comes to power who reigns longer. He's going to reign 31 years. So, um, uh, I'm sorry, he's going to reign, um, uh, yeah, till, till 609 uh, when he dies. So he dies even as a young man. But more unusual than was his age when he ascended the throne was how good he was and what incredible impact he made on the country. So if you found 2 Chronicles 34, uh, Steve Blair, there are a few names in here. Have you practiced? All right. Would you walk us through? In fact, if you're going to be here a little bit, walk us through 1 through 4. We'll stop there and I'll come back to you for 5 through 7 in a little bit. Okay, let's hang there for just a minute, okay? Now, despite the leadership of his father, Josiah, the king, led really well. Uh, Harry, Joe, if I don't turn out well, it's not Buzz's fault. Because he led me so well. Uh, you guys know, you know, you knew my dad. Uh, there... I realize that I've got a unique story there that, 
that my dad loved me every day of my life. He told me that. He showed me and led a good life himself. So if I goof up, it, I don't have anybody to blame for that. Josiah's story was just the opposite. Despite the fact that he was not led well, he led well himself. Okay, so let's look at a little bit. His, his uh, dad's name was Amon, um, okay? And I want you to look with me uh, just back a chapter. So I'm gonna, I want us to go to verse 21 of chapter 23, all right? Now, Amon was the king, uh, Josiah's dad. Before him, he was king. And then his grandpa, Manasseh, was uh, Amon's father, and both of them were despicable. Um, now, uh, Manasseh had, um, had a change of heart late in his life, but, but his, um, it was almost kind of like too little too late. Rhonda, can I get you to go to, uh, go to 33 and read 21 down through 25? So Josiah has to destroy the work of his dad and his grandpa. And he's got some more work of his own uh, to build up to do. So you catch this, um, that uh, as we read those first four or five verses there, um, uh, he purges Judah. In Jerusalem, of all these high places and all the the Asherah poles and the molten images, he tears down all of these um, uh, altars that his dad and his grandpa built, and then he begins to build altars in Jerusalem, so where where it should have been happening. Now, Steve, pick it up if you will the story, verse five, and read down through seven. Okay, I want you to look back one more time at 33 and look at verse 2. Here's what Grandpa did. How would you like this to be on your epitaph? Okay, Hezekiah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So Josiah, his grandson, Josiah the son of Ammon, having been taught the wrong way by dad and grandpa. When he becomes king, he, um, he begins to undo all the bad stuff that they did. He went on a bit of a crusade. His grandfather had been exceedingly evil. He had a lot of work to do. His dad had carried on the work of, of um, uh, Josiah's grandfather. Now you get to thinking about, and, and I, I think I've got to be... Um, um, responsible here. Did he do all this at eight years old? Probably not. Okay, probably not. My understanding is that becoming king, those remnant in the nation who knew God said, here's our opportunity. If we come alongside this boy, Maybe we can turn the tide of the country. And so men like, I believe, Jeremiah coached him. How would you like to have Jeremiah as your coach? Okay. And there were others. We're going to read about some of them. But as you read about 
him starting really well, really young, realized that he didn't just come up with this on his own. There were some handlers who surrounded him to help get him to the place where he needed to be and where the nation needed him to be. Okay, so uh, he starts on kind of this crusade. He had a lot of work to do. His grandpa had been wicked, despicable. His dad was about the same. Now, again, I, I hasten to say we'll talk about it a little bit in a little bit, but um, Hezekiah, um, um, I'm sorry, Manasseh, his grandpa, has, has a change of heart. He has a renaissance. He, has a, he, he comes to repentance late in his life, but all the work he did didn't get undone. And his son, Amon, kind of carried it on through. Now, let's go to the next little section here. Um, Cindy, can I come to you for verse 8 through 13? 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8. Let's see what happens now uh, as he begins to rebuild in good ways, good things, after he's torn down some bad things. Go. Uh, by the way, give Cindy a hand, would you? <laughs> I'd forgotten how many of those weird names are in there. Cindy, you did a commendable job. You did a really, really good job at this. Thank you for, uh, I'm not sure you were willing. I called you out. So, well, thank you. Okay, so the idea was, how old was the king when this stuff started happening, this good stuff? 36. He's 26. I think, isn't he? Eight and 18, I think. 26. So he's really young. Uh, he dies at, I think he died at 31. So, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so, um, I think he was 31 years old when he died. I think, no? So, he, he died at 39, right? Okay. I know I'm not real good at arithmetic, but I'm working on it. Okay. Okay, so... He's 26 here. I'm reading a book by uh, Ron Chernow. He's written a book. Uh, that's the guy that wrote the Hamilton book that, that resulted in the Hamilton musical. Uh, he wrote a book recently about Grant, and I'm, I've never been a fan till now. And, um, but it's a really, really good book on the Civil War. When um, Lincoln died, Grant was 42. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, when, when the war was over, Grant was 42. He had, uh, so he took, he did all that work, uh, uh, literally, as a 38-year-old, a, a bunch of that. Uh, isn't it interesting to think about a young, young person here doing the work, 26 years old? Now, as you begin to read verse 9, 10, and 11, don't get, don't get too lost in the names here. There's some funding that takes place for the rebuilding of the temple. This is a very important project. And if I'm reading it right, okay, the funding represents a reuniting. So you want to put the word unite here. It represents a united nation. He, um, Josiah mounts a revolt against Assyria to the north and largely makes, now this isn't completely true, but largely makes Israel one again, whole again. Remember we talked about last week how there were 10 tribes to the north and two to the south, um, and the Assyrians had overrun the north already by this time. Well, Josiah kind of pushes them back. And, um, and as a result of that, 
he, um, it's interesting to me, as a result of that, where, where Cindy was reading here, uh, he kind of makes the nation whole again, or one again, at least for a period of time, uh, even to the point of, look at verse 9, um, even to the point of collecting cash, tithes, if you will, from the north. Okay? Now think about that. So look at verse 9. Um, they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the doorkeepers, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim. Who are they? They're the sons of Joseph, who were northern tribal people, not Judah and Benjamin in the south. Okay? So when we talked about Jehoshaphat just being over the southern kingdom, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, uh, here's the thing where Josiah has an impact on all 12 nations, all 12 of the tribes again, which is it's, uh, remarkable in itself, especially with that time in history. So he collects cash from the north, and this funding then represents the temple's important. Uh, we're going to get it rebuilt. We're going to get it cleaned up. We're going to get it fixed back up. And um, so th there's a kind of a united front or a united nation in this. I, I find this as intriguing of any of this. And so the group that he's got doing a lot of this work are the Levites. Okay, who are the Levites? They are priests. Okay, so here's, a, here's the tricky part. Okay. All Levites are not priests, but all priests are Levites. I'll let you figure that one out. Okay. All Levites are not priests, but all priests are, are Levites. Uh, Glenda's got that. You got. I see you nodding. Okay, because they're all they're all sons of Levi, but the priests only are sons of Aaron, who was a Levite. So okay, yeah, yeah go figure that one out. Now, um, okay, so um, he returns them to God's plan for worship in the temple. It was also David's plan. It's interesting that it kind of got lost in the in the shuffle, and David during his leadership, David during his kingship, uh, makes sure they're doing worship right in the, in the nation. Isn't it interesting that when the country got worship right, politics followed. Military might followed. Paul, am I off base here? When they got worship right, when they got God right, they were at their zenith politically and militarily. That was not quite the case here, but he was bringing them back in that 31 years that he reigned. Now, so the Levites did all the work according to it. Just want to take a little aside here. It's interesting that it mentions a lot of the families here. So the, the work that they did was according to their family unit. So according to their families, and according to their talents. Isn't it interesting that when things were working well, it was that the people who did, the families who did this really well did it. And the families who did this really well did it. So the, uh, there were families that were really good at playing instruments. So what they do, they played instruments. You see that kind of indicated here. There were families that were really good at repairing and keeping the gates of the city. So what did the king turn them over to doing? Knock yourself out. Take care of the gates. Okay? There were those who were ex ex families who were just good carpenters. 
So what did they do? They turned them over to, to be carpenters. Um, I, I was talking with somebody earlier this week. I'm fascinated with the National Cathedral in Washington. And what I realized when I read about the Bethlehem Chapel at the National Cathedral in Washington is that the Italian stonemasons who began the work continued it and their grandsons finished it. That's just amazing to me. Cutting that stone and laying it stone after stone, not only did their sons get involved in the work after they were gone, but their grandsons finished it. They allowed those who had the talent, those who had been taught. Isn't it interesting? Now, what happened to me, Skip? I didn't become a plumber. I don't have a clue. You know, uh, Brad, don't have a clue, bud. You know, I, I know, but sorry. I worked only from the neck down ever and just didn't get it. I have to have Skip to help me or Brad or somebody to help me. So, all right, so... The, the, according to families and talents is how they did the work, and they followed up on kind of David's plan here. Now, when we go, when we go into verse 14, as they're repairing the temple, we can date this. This is interesting. The year is 622. Okay? The year is 622. Now, I told you that um, uh, Josiah became king in 640. Okay? So here we go. We're going to start this work and continue it. And as they do, something fairly amazing takes place. Sally, would you mind to read? Go to 14 and read down through 21. Okay, I want you to catch the high drama here. Oh, by the way, Sally taught phonics for how many years? They were in, you saw them in action right here. <laughs> phonics in action right there. Okay, so, so I want you to look back real quickly to 30, uh, uh, actually look ahead to 35.3. All right. He said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, built. It'll be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. We've got to read between the lines here. The ark of God had been moving from pillar to post for generations. It wasn't in the temple where it belonged. Um, Josiah's dad, Amon, his grandfather Manasseh had just not taken care of things and somewhere along the way you ready for this somewhere along the way they lost the book <laughs> did you catch this they lost the book it may have only been when they read it here it may have only been that they found the book of Deuteronomy. It may have been that they only found the first five books. I don't know. Uh, at least they have found the book of Deuteronomy. So it's interesting that when, as the Levites are marching by with treasury boxes, so think, uh, think treasure chests full of silver and gold for the rebuilding of the temple. As uh, the Levites walk 
come by as the scribes come into the king's chamber. They've counted it all out. And, um, and uh, you got to just kind of see this. An ancient and important book was found in the treasury of the temple. What you've got to catch here, I, I think, th- that I'm trying to catch here, is um, um, Hilkiah goes to Shaphan the scribe and says, I found a book, and he gave it to him. Shaphan brings the book to the king and said, uh, King, we're doing okay on money. You know, whoever says that, right? I think we're doing okay. We found, you know, we got all this. We, we went back to the temple. We went to the Levitical treasuries. We found all this gold and silver. And, sir, you probably need to know I found something else. What? Well, we found a book. A book? Kind of a book. Well, this book. Well, read it to me. And as he read it, the king was grief-stricken. You catch it? How do we know he was grief-stricken? He tears his clothing. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a, 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 a representation here. That's, that's what they do uh, when, they, when they're just grief I'll never forget. Um, Anthony Quinn, you remember that name? played Caiaphas, I believe, in the Jesus of Nazareth series, which is back in the late 70s, early 80s, Franco Zeffirelli. I tried to watch a little bit of it the other day, and I realized, not as good as I remembered it being, but, but when, um, when Jesus claims I am in his trial scene, Anthony Quinn dressed as... Caiaphas makes big drama, tearing his robe. A symbol of grief. Hey, here's my question here. What was the real treasure found in the treasury? What was the real treasure found in the treasury? Was it stacks of silver and gold? Have in your head, um, uh, when you think about that, have Fort Knox in your head. This is what they found. No, not as you and I have it. Without being unholy, can I say, what you have in front of you is much better. It's got the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's complete it's all you need, and it's in your language. In fact, it's in a modern English language that you can understand. At 16, when I was really starting to try to follow Jesus carefully, all I had was a King James Bible. Jim, you know? All I had was a, and, and I remember uh, somebody gave me the uh, Joe Jones version of, of the... Uh, uh, the Living Bible called The Way. Now, by the way, I call it the Joe Jones version. Go to it. Look at The Way. If you can find a copy, Joe Jones' picture is in it. Okay? He's kind of a big deal. Uh, and I remember reading that, Taylor's paraphrase, and reading the book in my own language and thinking, 
okay, I can get this. It changed me. And when, I'm not a huge fan of the NIV, but when the NIV came out, that was another thing. It was like, oh, okay, this is, it's not told like a story, but it's told in my language and I can kind of get it. What they found, what you have in front of you is so much better than what they had. And they considered it a treasure beyond the vast treasuries in the temple and what they'd been given by, um, by the northern tribes to complete the work of the temple. I, I love the fact that Shaphan comes before the king and says, I found a book. Don't you know there's a twinkle in his eye? Oh, king, we found a book in the stacks of money. And this is the real treasure. <laughs> well, so they read it. The king is filled with grief. Why? Somebody, would somebody go to Deuteronomy 28? Now, that's the fifth book in your Bible. Okay, so go back to the left. Go to Deuteronomy 28. And I need somebody, if you volunteer, to read verse 30. Let's see, you've got to get it right. I've got it written down here somewhere. Uh, 36 and 37. Deuteronomy 28, 36 and 37. Please, thank you. So the king says, well, read it. What does it say? And as the scribes begin to read it, he realizes as they get to sections like this that if we have, for generations, we have not kept it and we're finished. Kind of what he thinks. We are finished. Uh, uh, look at verse 21 in chapter, back in chapter 34 here. Um, Go, inquire the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book which has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord which is poured out on us because our fathers have not observed the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in this book. We haven't done it. So the issue is here. This political leader is concerned because they have not been obeying the words of the book. Fast forward down to verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He realizes not only have they not known about the book, but they haven't followed it, certainly. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the Levites, and all the people from the greatest to the least, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. Remember last week we talked about Jehoshaphat uh, called a national fast. What did, what did Josiah call here? You're going to gather and we're going to read this book. Wouldn't that be a great place to start? <laughs> if I realize that things are not as they should be, and by the way, if you don't think that's true, then don't bother reading the paper. Wouldn't it be great if somebody would just say, why don't we read the manual? Why don't we go back to where we should have been all along? 
by obeying the words of the book. Now, I've, I've got to show you something. Paul and I talked about this a little Look at verse 22. The person who they went to to ask, what do we need to do, is a prophet. She's actually a prophetess. Okay? What does that mean? It's a woman. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had told went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokhath, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her regarding this. She said to them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. And she begins to say, If you don't get this right, you're done. Is it interesting to you? Evidently, Hulda had never met John MacArthur. Uh, sorry. If you don't know that reference, you don't need to. Paul, Paul gets it. You know, John MacArthur is the one who took on Beth Moore for whatever reason, okay? Women can't preach. Wow. That's evidently not the Old Testament sentiment. In fact, in my little bit of study this week, um, um, that thought kind of came between the Testaments. If you read Judges 4.4, you realize the whole nation's being led by Deborah. The king says, we're doomed. And they go to a prophetess to say, tell us what we need to do. This kind of division is not in the spirit of the Old Testament. And so, the king reads aloud the book, the whole thing, as the people gather around. How important is it to hear the reading of Scripture when we get together? Maybe you get a little weary of, in this class, when I have somebody read because they're, it may be if, if they're reading from over here and you're back here, you may not can hear completely. But it's really important that you and I hear the Scripture being read. It, it, that's, that's really the most important thing we do here. More than the commentary on it is listening to it. And here's the book, and they begin to read it. King reads aloud the book, the whole thing. So, look at verse 31. Here we go. We'll finish it up right here. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. He said it out loud in front of the, all the people. They could hold him accountable. Moreover, he made all that were present with him in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand with him. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God their fathers. Jehiah removed all the abominations from all the lands belonging to the sons of Israel and made all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God throughout his life. They did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. The king committed to doing what he just read. If I remember my philosophy class from college, Plato said something like, to be is to do. His student Aristotle said, to do is to be. 
Frank Sinatra later said, dooby dooby doo. Um, oh, that was really weak. I'm sorry. It's not enough to know it if I'm not going to do something with it. And they're led literally from the top down. The most important, the, the most um, sovereign person in the nation says, we're not just going to read it, we're going to do it. He, he invited them to do what he had just read. He invites the nation to the same level of commitment. He says, follow me, join me. And that's kind of his epitaph, is verse 33. Now, the rest of the story, I, I really don't like. I mean, he dies in battle which was an unnecessary battle in 609. He picks a fight with Egypt, which was not very smart. Egypt actually, um, the uh, leader of Egypt uh, kind of sends word to him and says, dude, don't mess with us. I'm, I, don't have a, I don't have a bone to pick with you. I'm just going around. And Josiah goes out and he dies in battle. Um, if you, put this reference. I won't read it now, but I'll let you read it. Jeremiah 22, verse 15 and 16, many believe, is about Josiah. Jeremiah, actually, you, if you read chapter 35, you'll read where the prophet Jeremiah wrote a long lament over Je Josiah's death and his life. We don't have that book anymore, but there's a pretty clear reference to it, in, uh, in, in we think at least, in Jeremiah uh, 22, where he's talking about the death of a good man. <clears throat> what's his epitaph? You read it right here. Throughout his lifetime, they did not turn from following the Lord God of their fathers. Why? Because he didn't turn. <laughs> the leader didn't turn. Oh, Lord, <laughs> that we would have leaders again who would say, okay, we found the book. We read it. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. You're going to sit here. You're going to stand still till I read the book. And then we're going to do it. Do you know a little more about jo Josiah than you did before? I hope so. Now, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 1 next week. Brother Paul is going to help us kind of work through the rest of that chapter, maybe. Or you may take a little more time, but... But I'm going to be here dialing in. So uh, happy Super Bowl day, happy Groundhog Day. Enjoy the weather. I'll see you next week.